Welcome to Wellspring on the Air, where professional Christian counselors share practical life and Bible insights. Why? Because hearts and minds matter. We're glad you joined our show today to hear from our host, Tova Kreps, president of Wellspring Counseling in Miami. Tova is a licensed therapist with many years of experience as a Christian counselor. Tova teaches, writes, and consults, and LifeFM is pleased to have Wellspring Counseling restoring hearts and minds in our community. Welcome to Wellspring on the Air, and this is Tova. Happy New Year. The gist of this show is that living well doesn't happen by accident. We have to live well intentionally. I agree with Zig Ziglar. If you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. And that means that we need to decide where we want to end up in life and then set goals for ourselves to get there. We need to plan for it. Psalm 90.10 says, Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Good goal setting begins with the end in mind. That includes the end of our death, the next generations beyond us, as well as the end of each one of our personal aspirations and the lives that we now have the opportunity to live. Our goal should include all aspects of our lives, our minds, our hearts, our soul, and our bodies. They should reflect God's purposes for our lives, as well as our own dreams and passions. And our goals need to be broken down into small, achievable steps with well-laid-out plans. If you're struggling, slow down and work on your big picture first. Get your future vision of yourself clearly in mind. Otherwise, you're likely to get discouraged. If your goals are clear and you are already now trying to work out your plan for reaching those goals or achieving your resolutions, then I'm going to be teaching you helpful hints on how to make your habits really work. Maybe you're already struggling in the process. Not likely because we're still at the beginning of January, but if you are or you think you will be, this is the month that we will be teaching you in all different ways about healthy habits and how to achieve them. So don't change your dial. Today's talk is about habits and the brain, and I'll share with you some interesting scientific aspects about how to use what already happens in our brains to help us be successful at our goal setting. Let's dive into habits and the brain. We need to talk about habits in the brain because most of us completely underestimate the organic side of our habits. We need to work with our brain and not against it. So what's a habit? Habit is something you do often and regularly without conscious thinking anymore. Think of it as autopilot for the brain. What it really is, is an entrenched brain synapse pathway. Yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll get more into that. First, let's talk about types of habits, though. So we kind of all know what we're talking about because I'm applying this to many aspects of our lives. We have body habits, habits of our body. When we're babies, we learn how to walk. We have mannerisms, how we smile. Later, we get more complicated, how we ride a bike, how we pour a cup of coffee. Maybe that's not so complicated. In my house, it might be with, the, you know, Keurigs and Nespresso's and French presses. But anyway, I, I digress. We have habits that are big, complicated ones like addictions, and we have eating and sleeping and exercise habits. All of these relate to our body. We also have mental habits. Automatic first assumptions about other people can be habits that we automatically judge them, or we automatically are curious about them or caring, or that we distrust them. We have automatic thoughts when facing adversity. It's a, is it an opportunity? Is it self-pity? Is it denial? Is it a challenge? My mother taught me that and adversity is an adventure, and that kind of stuck with me, but that's an automatic thought. We have automatic self-assumptions like, I'm worthless, or I'm lovable. All these are actually mental habits. We also have emotional responses to stress or adversity, where we get instantly discouraged, or instantly stubborn, and, and dig our heels in, and things like that. Lastly, we have spiritual habits. 
You might have habits of quiet time or obeying God's word when you hear it or confessing when the Holy Spirit convicts you, going to church, worship, gratitude to God for good things. All of these are actually habits. Some of them are good. Some of them are not. And we usually want to change some of our bad ones and replace them with good ones. By the way, the word replace is an important word. Stopping habits is very hard. Replacing them is actually much easier. One of the things we'll talk about. All right, so let's talk about the brain a little bit. The brain is a very complicated, so it's obvious that I'm going to completely oversimplify and just hit a few highlights about the brain as we do this very short show. And I want to highlight two broad principles about the brain in connection with habits and the networks of our brains. First is this principle that says, if it's fired together, it's wired together. And what I'm really talking about is when the synapse fire in our brain, in our neural network, if they are fired together, they become wired together. In other words, we make associations by things that are paired. Our brains are always working to simplify what we do and what we know. The reason it wants to simplify is so that we can do higher level things. So when you learn to walk and it becomes automatic autopilot, you no longer have to think about walking. Instead, you can think about talking on the phone or where you're going. So the brain is always trying to memorize things and pair things together. Oh, when this happens, then I'll do this. And once it gets it memorized, you no longer have to think about it. So you can think about complicated things, complex things, higher levels of behavior and learning. It's your brain working for you. So if it's fired together, it's wired together, basically means that items can be paired. And they can be paired in a couple of ways. One is that you have a cue and then a response. So you compare a cue, a trigger, something that happens with an automatic response to it. And that can become a habit. Another is that you have associations that pair together like your sensory with feeling. So for instance, the smell of apple pie with the love of your grandmother might be paired together. Then in the future, when you smell apple pie, you feel loved. So there's a pairing of those things together and that helps create expectations. One way to picture it is if you picture like a blank piece of land that's just covered with mud and rain falling on it. When it's smooth and it starts to rain, the water as it falls tends to pool and then it slowly will dig little trenches where the water will run. So if you picture that, that's like the synapse of your brain. At first, when you're a baby, you just fire all over the place. Nothing's connected. The, the brain is working to make connections. It wants to pair things. It wants to simplify things. It wants to create water channels down which the synapse flow to mix my metaphors. So the rain comes, and when the rain comes over and over and over again, it develops trenches, which become habits. Those become paired associations, fired together, wired together associations, and they become habits. Another way that those trenches can be formed, though, if you picture that, is when you have a flood. So there's rain, which is repetition. Every time the water starts going down the same routes, it gets deeper and deeper. But when you have a flood, a sudden flood that comes across that whole thing, it can wipe out all the earlier trenches and it can create a new entrenched pathway just from a one-time event. Trauma, strong avoidance to some sensory input, survival experiences can create new trenches all at once. So either way, those things become paired and become a new trench way in our brains. So the second concept of the brain that I want to present today, the second principle of the brain is that expectations influence behavior. 
Our brain is always looking to help us meet our goals. Our goals can be the same as everybody else's, to be loved, to have attention, to survive, to have success in life, to procreate, all those things. But we may have different belief systems on how to reach those goals. Like some people may think that the way they'll be loved is by being beautiful because they believe society. And others may know that the way to be loved is by being kind and loving to others so that people enjoy being around you. Those beliefs can change, but our brain is always helping us reach our own goals. Our brains don't just randomly pair things. They are literally looking for opportunities to help us have better lives, to reach our goals, and to avoid pain. Notice the word opportunities is not the same thing as pleasure. It's actually looking for rewards. And the way it does that is that the brain is expecting when you get a reward. And when it expects that you'll get the reward of the goal you have and the goal you believe, it'll fire these things called dopamine neurons. And they'll fire more quickly when your brain thinks that you have a great reward opportunity in front of you. It's kind of like a metal detector that just beep steadily and then when you get near metal it goes faster okay well that's what your dopamine neurons do when they say look you're getting close to something where you're going to get a reward for your goal and when your brain expects that then it'll fire more rapidly which cues you to take an action it cues you to actually behave so the brain assesses what you expect to give you a reward through all sorts of complicated things it uses all the parts of your brain your sensory input current sensations your memories of past sensations related to those events. So those things that are paired together, that are wired together, your brain will say, oh yeah, those two things go together. you happy last time, you'll be happy next time. Your prefrontal cortex will kick in and it'll talk to you about your current state of being and your goals and intentions and your strategies, your long-term goals. Your hippocampus kicks in and it uh, brings up your conscious memories and assesses new things for novelty. By the way, the brain loves novel. It's much more exciting and more likely to make your little uh, dopamine neurons fire more quickly. So the problem is your evaluation of the fact that your expectations will be met, that you will get rewards to meet your goal, might be wrong. That's the bad news. The good news is you can change your belief system, which will change your expectations. If you change your beliefs, I believe the way to get love is by being loving versus by being beautiful or skinny or something else, then your dopamine neurons will fire at the right time and actually increase the likelihood of you choosing good things. All right, there's much more on the brain issues related to habits, but these two concepts are a good start for right now. I'm going to next go to applications of this, but I'm going to take a quick first look at what the Bible has to say in connection with the science. And it's no surprise that science supports what the Bible teaches. The Bible so, definitely teaches that we need to consciously repeat good behavior. God knows we need to consistently practice right living in order to create automatic godly living. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes us take on the attributes of God without having to think about it. It becomes autopilot to do and be what God wants us to be. So the Bible teaches that everything from Bible reading, it says when you rise, when you lay down on your doorposts, Bible reading is something we need, gratitude to God for everything that we have, worship, prayer, all of those God tells us to repeat so that they become automatic and easy for us, so that the way of following God becomes easy. 
We might have other habits that God wants us to make easy, forgiving others, giving to the poor, even our thinking. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, think on these things. So God tells us even to create habits of our mind by intentionally choosing to do it his way until it becomes automatic. One more aspect about the Bible and habits that I want to highlight is the habits of our flesh. The scripture redresses our flesh quite a bit. And I wanted to find that the flesh is sometimes talked about in scripture as our fallen flesh, and the other times it's about our physical flesh. So I want to say that our physical flesh is neutral. It is not good or evil. As a matter of fact, our physical flesh is how we love God and express our soul and our good things towards God. So we can't separate ourselves from our body and our body is not bad, but there is a flesh that is unredeemed. In our natural state, We will do in our flesh, in our behaviors, and in our habits exactly what we automatically do according to the goals we all have. Eat, survive, compete, procreate, all of those things. And scripture also tells us that in our natural state, our natural automatic ways of behaving are to rebel against God. It tells us we are slaves to sin. And you can look that up. Read through Romans 7, you'll see that. In our redeemed state, Our bodies are driven by the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin, and Christ rules it. Galatians 5 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires to do what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, and then it defines the acts of the flesh and the acts of the fruit of the Spirit. So the point here is... Don't fight against your flesh, but you do fight against sin. And you use your body to cooperate with God in behaving in ways that submit your body to his redemption instead of behaving in ways that automatically rebel against God. Our bodies and our habits and our behaviors are the place where the spiritual battles of life are fought. That is the battleground. That's why our habits are so important and why we need to make sure we have mental habits, physical physical habits, spiritual habits, and emotional habits that move toward pleasing God. We're redeeming our bodies and cooperating with God in his sanctification of us. All right, let's take a break here. And after the break, we'll make some practical applications. Welcome back to Wellspring on the Air. This is Tova, and today we're talking about healthy habits and the brain. But we're going to move on. So far, we've talked about how the brain forms habits to simplify our lives. And now we're going to apply that to developing good, healthy habits and letting go of old ones. I'll hit on a few more brain details as we go. I have five points in our applications, and they are broad, sweet. Okay, five points. Number one, your past is your teacher. All right, if you want to change your habits, you have to analyze how you got them. You need to look at your bad habits or the ones you don't like and ask yourself, when did it start? Where? Why? How did it get entrenched? What are the rewards I get for this? Because you wouldn't have done it if you didn't get rewards somehow at the time. And then what do you want long term? So you really do have to analyze it. Now, this is not about beating yourself up 
for your failures. This is about figuring out what doesn't work for you so that you can change your behaviors. So looking at your bad habits and how you got them and what reinforces them, what triggers them, really, really analyzing that is going to help you move forward. Your past is your teacher. The other thing you want to look at is your past successes because your past successes will help you know what does work. One of the great ways to change habits is to create a new habit to build it on an old existing success. When you focus on your success, you can say, oh, I mastered this this way. I'll apply that to a new area of my life. Maybe I have good self-discipline. Maybe I have good structure. Maybe I'm great with accountability partners. All those things. You got to figure out what hems yourself in to do the things you want yourself to do. All right. That's your past is your teacher. Second, change your expectations of reward. You can consciously rewrite your beliefs. Okay, so the brain science said that if you expect a reward, you're going to have neurons firing telling you to behave to get it. So if you change your expectations, then your body will work with you to do it. So for instance, if you think and you have an association that if I drink this wine or if I do this behavior, I will feel good then you expect to feel better, even if it's not true, even if you actually feel worse the next day, even if that behavior of eating the entire bucket of ice cream may feel good in the moment, but actually makes you feel sick to your stomach. You won't remember that. But if you have an expectation that says, wow, when I eat really healthy, I feel better about myself, you're much more likely to do it. If you believe and practice in your mind, when I choose the right thing, I feel good. When I listen to music, I relax and it takes off my stress. When you come up with other rewriting things, then when you get the cue, the pie, the music, the stress, when you get the cue, your behavior will follow it. So you can consciously rewrite your beliefs. I have to tell you, it takes work. But that's the first habit to develop. Before you try to change your habit, change your belief so that you actually expect that the new thing is going to be rewarding. You got to write it down. You got to put post-its all around your house. You got to visualize it, which I'm going to get to in a second. You've, you've got to um, rewrite that core belief, write it, read it, ingest it um, until it becomes true for you. If you get really stuck, you can use cognitive behavioral therapy. You can come to Wellspring for counseling. We can help you do that. Other people can help you. You may want to study it from a broad perspective, what's normal, get a broad view. Spend time in the Bible where God changes your expectations because you believe him and you have faith in him and you develop a long-term view. All right, that's your past is your teacher. Change your expectation and reward. Number three, see it to be it. The point of this is you cannot behave in ways that you have not yet visualized. You have to be able to picture it before you can do it. And that means you have to be able to picture the, the actual detail of the behavior. You can't just picture yourself achieving success. You have to picture yourself getting up in the morning at six o'clock and doing blank. You have to actually see yourself doing each small behavior. And as you do that, you have to visualize it until you get excited about it. Like, oh, I can see myself doing that. That's kind of exciting. And then I get to see my success. I'll lose that weight. I'll be in shape. I'll do that thing. I'll master that fear. It's like sports. People know that they need to practice it visually before they can do it. And by the way, our brains actually have something called mirror neurons that help us do this. So this literally happens in your brain, whether you want it to or not. It's always happening. Every behavior you do 
You are practicing it, visualizing it in your mind so that then you can repeat it. Here's the kick. Every behavior somebody else does, your mirror neurons also visualize and practice. So there's good news and bad news about that. The bad news is you are copying things all the time, what you've done and what other people are doing. The good news is you can choose your role models. If you want to eat healthy, hang around and picture people who are healthy. Picture them eating, watch their eating, watch it, visualize it, put pictures up. If you visualize the activity, you can repeat it. So you can use this to work for you or against you. When it works against us, it happens all the time, whether unconsciously happens all the time. If you watch a lot of violence, your mind will repeat that violence in in your own head. If you see people being kind, you'll repeat that. So we need to think about what we visualize and try to visualize the things we actually want. One last little hint here on see it to be it is sometimes we can't visualize something because we really are stuck in an old mindset. So I want to give the phrase, go big or go home here. Every now and then, if you can't visualize it, try jumpstarting your mindset with some extreme example. I'll tell you what worked for me, for instance. I was stuck in patterns of thinking about how my food was, like I had to eat at mealtime, or I was hungry, or I couldn't not be hungry. So What I had to do was jumpstart it by actually fasting, and it worked. I fasted for two days. It was very challenging, but it changed my mindset about what I could visualize for myself. Like now I could visualize myself skipping a meal, whereas before it was like, no, I have to eat. I just couldn't get out of my own mindset. So consider jumpstarting your mindset with some extreme behavior, like going to a serious boot camp when really your goal is to just exercise for half an hour a day. I, I did that one too, and it helped too. Okay, number four is living abundantly. All right, this may sound not Christian, but let me tell you, this is the way it really works. If you want to not be tempted, you need to be full. So we are called to live abundant lives. So if you want to not be tempted in the flesh, you need to be filled in the flesh with good things. That means if you don't want to be tempted in your marriage to have an affair, you need to be trying to have good sex that was pretty bold of me, right? It means that you need to not be hungry in order to eat right things. So eat good things all the time and then you won't do it. We really are not satisfying ourselves enough, enough rest, enough relaxation, enough joy, enough physical pleasures so that we are not tempted by our flesh. We are not living in a depraved mode where we're going to do the short-term impulsive behavior instant gratification in order to meet our needs. You have to be full in order to make good choices. You can't be in a depraved state of being. Okay, that applies to our flesh. It also applies to our spirit and to our emotions. If we are filled with God's love, good positive feedback socially and from other people by being in scripture and hearing from God and being with good people who love us and speak good things to us versus being in a toxic environment, then when we are filled with that, we are able to give out of that. We are not, again, in a depraved state where we're going to do an impulse-driven instant gratification, where I'm going to feel love just by sleeping with somebody, which is an impulse-driven thing, instead of holding out for the right person in God's way. That temptation is going to come because we're not full enough of love. Research tells us that positive social interactions are one of the greatest rewards, by the way, for our behaviors. So you're working on a habit, 
use those positive reinforcements of social interactions, and you're more likely to keep the habit. What does that look like? Well, it means you find accountability partners. Why? So that you can anticipate their social positive feedback, and it makes you seek that reward. It's an easy reward to get, and it makes you work for it because I did this this morning. I sent my daughter my weight because she's my accountability partner on my new path of losing weight. It's great. I was actually super excited about sending her my little text of my weight. So I got that reinforcement from her. I knew I'd get a little loves and thumbs ups and I got them. Social rewards are some of the easiest, fastest, best rewards to do, but it means you have to find people who will give that to you. You have to find people on your similar journey, people who are going to praise you for what you do. You need role models so your mirror neurons work. And you need to avoid the people who give you negative reinforcement, the enablers of your bad behaviors, the discouragers who don't want you to change or because your good behavior makes them feel guilty, or your toxic stressors. If you can avoid toxic stress, then you're much more likely to keep your habits while you're forming them because they are conscious and you're having to do them consciously. Once they become habits, you'll do them even when you're under stress. But while you're under stress, you're going to revert to automatic behaviors and autopilot because you don't have that time or energy in your brain to focus on complex new behaviors. All right, number five, and we're going to wrap up. Plan for your success, including failures. Like I said at the beginning, if you're not ready to start this, if you're not thoroughly analyzed and planned and excited and visualized, then don't start. You're better off waiting until you have a plan. Your plan needs to include details, pictures in your mind, how you're going to change your social network, how you're going to cue yourself in all different ways so that you can actually be excited. Another thing you need to plan for is failures. You have to give yourself permission to relapse. It's going to happen. You're going to fail. Commit to a long-term success. And that includes some failures. Plan for them so that you don't give up when you hit them. Build new habits onto old habits as part needs to be part of your plan. You're trying to basically float a new boat down that water channel. It's already there. You got the water channel. Just add something to it. If you want to do positive affirmations, add them to teeth brushing. They're already, you already got a good habit there. Put them together and accountability. Get those social rewards in. All right, we've done it. I gave you my five broad sweep applications and some brain stuff. There's more to come for the rest of this month. We're going to have some guests on here. We're going to talk about applying these same things to food and to fitness and to spiritual disciplines. So join us for the next few weeks as we think about healthy habits. Oh, and one last thing. Please encourage us by letting us know you're listening by emailing us to ontheair at wellspringmiami.org. That's ontheair at wellspringmiami.org. It's time to wrap up. This is Tova Kreps with Wellspring on the Air because hearts and minds matter. Wellspring on the Air is a production of Wellspring Counseling, a nonprofit professional counseling center with multiple locations in Miami-Dade County. Wellspring therapists are licensed by the state of Florida and Christian in their worldviews. They have wide ranges of clinical expertise, including marriage, family, anxiety, depression, and trauma. Their diverse group of therapists includes several who speak Spanish or Portuguese. If you would like to know more about Wellspring's services of counseling and education, go to their website at wellspringmiami.org or give them a call at 786-573-7010 or email them at ontheair at wellspringmiami.org. Again, you can find a way to contact them at wellspringmiami.org.